Welcome one and all throughout time and space for this new episode of Weebs on the Weekends, the podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look on an anime that premiered 10 years ago. As per our season of special guests, today's episode will include the thoughts of three parties on whether to resurrect or rebury the 2011 anime Steins Gate. My name is Sam Martinez. I'm a part-time weeb, full-time automail mechanic. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jay Johnson. Part-time weeb, full-time English language sensei. Now, Jay, today's guest is one of my best friends. He's helped me round out my fandom so that I didn't turn into a complete Japanophile. And he has also helped me in both uh, personal matters and matters of school. He's currently a practicing attorney which I am so thankful because he can prove that lawyers don't have to play along with the narratives of being disingenuous or uh, cosplaying in red leather to beat people up at night. For today's episode, we have none other than our avocado de lay, Jack! Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you for that fantastic introduction. I do not uh, uh, cosplay in a daredevil outfit and beat people up at night, I promise. Oh, that's what you were making an allusion to. Okay, I was I went with uh, Ace Attorney at Law, and I was like, huh, okay. He doesn't I wear red. So. Yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> why are you talking about that? But yeah, Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes more sense. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. No worries. No worries, man. Is there anything that you would like to uh, tell our listeners about? Give us a little bit uh, uh perspective on you? Well, sure. Um I will say that my uh, weeb credentials are probably not as strong as the two of you, but uh, a lot of the anime that uh, I have been exposed to and manga related to it have uh, come from my friendship with you, Sam, as well as friendship with a few other people. And um, it's it's mainly been through those that I've been exposed to the series that, uh, that I really enjoy, and uh, one in particular that we'll be going through today. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I know, like, uh, it's... It, uh, particularly with uh, this franchise, because it deals so heavy in time travel, I'm very interested to hear about your thoughts. You know, you uh, being a big Whovian like myself, as well as uh, seeing if you may have uh, linked some uh, Star Trek uh, timey wimey stuff to this as well. You being a big uh, Trekker uh, as well. And uh, if you want to, we can go on to your uh, nine anime lists so that uh, Jay and I can choose whether or not to swipe right or left on you to see whether or not your credentials are actually. Oh, man, I think I know how this is going to go. But uh, yeah, OK, I've got my uh, my list of nine. Um, do we can we go through them like from from bottom to top or does that matter? However, order you, whatever order you want to go to, if you want to do like middle down and then middle back. Or just like random, it doesn't really matter. Whatever okay. order you think is going to make us swipe right on. You. Okay, so, so <laughs> all right, so I'll go. I'll go. Uh, I'll go from uh, nine to one. We'll we'll start from the bottom and work our way up. Um, so the first the first one I've got uh, four kids Yu Gi Oh English dub. I uh, the the way that show was done. I mean, I, attention was kind of brought to it i think in the aughts with the Yu Gi Oh the abridged series but the the original show i mean i have some fond memories of watching that and the the, uh, the admittedly hammy uh, goofy way in which that uh, that dub was done i have a lot of fondness for it. that's just the that's just the fact uh, number 8 i have uh, bacano a show that uh, you sam uh, introduced to me a couple of years ago probably a little bit a little bit longer than that um, and the reason that is on there is uh, because I was fascinated by the narrative leaps and the fact that you really kind of have to pay attention in order to 
uh, piece together the chronological events of that series. I'm kind of, I, I'm I'm glad that you reminded me that I was going to show you. I was really mean in my <laughs> in my uh, suggestions because, like you said, you have to work a whole lot to uh, follow track with Bakuno. I was going to say it. It helps to appreciate Quentin Tarantino and, and taking stories from certain points and then leaping around and, until they're recontextualized. And I think that's what kind of prepared me for Bakuno. But I really enjoyed it as a result. Uh, I'm 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 glad that. I didn't uh, throw you out there too hard to the wolves that you were able to enjoy that guy because it, it really is a good show. Um, number seven, uh, I've got Death Note. Um, aughts American kid classic favorite anime. I mean, it's just it's uh, it's got a, a solid set of characters, an interesting sort of descent into madness, and uh, a very interesting and and very well thought out and mapped out sort of detective story and a cat and mouse chase. Um, I was really really impressed with it. it it surprised me several uh at several different stages in the story there are a lot of twists and turns and i think it's obvious that it's as uh, as popular as it is even today oh that's good oh uh may, may behoove you to know that uh the same people are uh they have made another uh manga uh series and they're coming out with a new anime adaptation for it i think jake correct me if i'm wrong is it like platinum end or something like that yeah platinum's end is coming out this fall is it a sequel to death note or is it a completely separate story yeah it's a bit it's basically a death game essentially between same shinigami human kind of pairing but now they're in a death battle with huh. other shinigami human pairs so to try to become basically the god of the underworld so somewhat of the same universe i guess essentially same how uh tai kubo does bleach and uh burn the witch are kind of in the same universe so maybe not ah, okay. the same story but you know same universe essentially uh so my number six uh initial d of all the anime on my list initial d is the one that i've honestly and admittedly seen the least amount of i've only what? gotten about halfway through the first season on it that is from all the memes you sent me about initial d that's the least you've seen uh yeah, and and it's not it, part of that is because of an access issue, and because I generally try to watch dubs and in, in mm -hmm. over subs. No offense, I know that that that's a sensitive subject for some, but uh, um, but anyway, Initial D is also the only anime on on my list that I was introduced to purely by accident uh, on an internet meme uh, for the Deja Vu song by Dave Rogers, which uh, is just. Just absolutely fantastic. The reason that I like Initial D is largely because of the somewhat, I would say, a little bit lighter toned uh, Japanese take on the Fast and the Furious. That's kind of how I would describe it. And the idea that the most powerful car in the story is a 1986 Trueno that looks just like absolute. Like you would not expect that car looking like it does to be the most uh, impressive thing on the racetrack. And it is. And I kind of like that idea. It's not the coolest looking, sexiest car that is the ultimate prize and the ultimate champion. It's one that looks like a 1986 Trueno. <laughs> so that's number six. Number five, Full Metal Alchemist Original. Um, the uh, Full Metal fandom, I think, largely prefers Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And Brotherhood is uh, impressive. I've seen probably about half of Brotherhood. But the reason that I listed Full Metal Alchemist, uh, the original series, 2003-2004, um, on my list is, is mainly because of the, you know, a little bit of the nostalgia value. I remember um, that being my intro to this franchise, and I remember it very fondly. And uh, at the time I watched it, 
I knew that, of course, you know, there's a manga adaptation, mm-hmm. and of course, or not an adaptation, it was originally based on a manga, but uh, I knew that by watching it, you were going to get a different story progression than the manga, and that made it a little bit interesting to me, because it's like, oh, if I read the manga, I'm going to be getting something different, and I thought the ending of the show uh, was not a disappointment. I thought it ended very interestingly, and uh, and so combination of just nostalgia and the interesting direction in which they they took the story. So that's why that's on my list. Number five. Um, number four, Cowboy Bebop. This is kind of a I don't want to say a normie's favorite type of anime, but uh, it is one that I only went through for the very first time from start to finish back in February. And uh, I was blown away how impressive it was. I knew that it was from 1998 in Japan, uh, but the art on it, the design on it, the uh, style of the characters, the personalities that each of the characters have... um, I would liken it to Firefly, except I would say that it's got a little bit more of a, not to say overtly like Japanese twist on things, but the, the art and the design on it uh, really just blew me away, more so than I expected when I picked the series up for the first time just uh, earlier this year. And so Cowboy Bebop, I understand why it is incredibly popular with so many people, and it's uh, number four on my list uh, for pretty much the same kinds of reasons. Um, I know there's a Netflix version coming out soon, uh, which I will withhold judgment on until I have a chance to see it. <laughs> That's good, being uh, a l- little bit cautious on uh, new adapt- adaptations because we, we don't want another uh, Netflix death note on our hands. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that for good reason, I guess. But um, No, I did watch that movie and I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So that's number four. Number three, Steins Gate, uh, the subject of today's uh, episode. I'll, I'll uh, reserve talking about um, this show until we get more into the body. And uh, then number two, Attack on Titan. Um, Attack on Titan is my second favorite anime, largely because of the presentation of a story that is as dark as it is. Um, if you look on the back cover of the first volume of the manga, it's, it's described as Japan's answer to The Walking Dead, which is a comic series and television show in America that I'm, I'm very fond of both. Uh, and Attack on Titan. Um, has so many incredible uh, plot twists and reveals, incredible character development and progression, lots of action, um, with a tone that can border on on dark and depressing, but is largely one of what I would describe as, I guess, positive aggression, the fight to survive, um, which is, is just incredible. It really strongly resonated with me. And I want to make sure I give you a shout out, Sam. You showed me Attack on Titan back in 2013 when it was when it was a newborn baby anime. Yes. And uh, you showed me the fifth episode, which I won't go into details on. But uh, upon watching that, I was so upset with you, as I recall. <laughs> and, uh, you were like, "You have to keep watching. You have to keep watching." And I did, and it was worth it. But um, I want to make sure I mentioned. <laughs> see, not see my 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 uh, referrals are very good. Yeah. I'm just saying, because I've been trying to get you onto some other anime, but we could talk about a little bit about that later. Yeah, so so Attack on Titan is number two. Attack on Titan is also very well-paced compared to manga adaptations and anime that tend to, to wrestle with the issue of filler and how much to, to dilute the, the main story with. Attack mm-hmm. on Titan does that very well. Um, and then number one. Uh, number one on my list, an anime that I've been uh, in love with for... 16 years now and will probably fall follow until you know it ends or i die whichever comes first 
and that is One Piece. Um, One Piece was the very first manga slash anime that I was ever interested in. At the time, I was interested in no other other um, stories uh, in those artistic mediums. One Piece uh, grabbed me, and and uh, I just haven't really been able to let go since. I've sort of fallen out of step with following the series week to week, uh, but I still read the manga. I still watch the show. I've been on a big kick with One Piece this past summer. Uh, my best friend, who introduced me to One Piece back in two, 2005, uh, got married, and, and you know I'm turning 30. He's turning 30 next May, and so we had sort of a nostalgic kick, and I decided to go back and reread One Piece from the very beginning. Uh, One Piece is a gargantuan uh, series. It's very intimidating to a lot of people, I think, who are not into One Piece already. Uh, but the reasons I love One Piece and the reasons it will probably always be my number one is because of the... I want to say simplistic nature of the goal of the protagonist and the the themes of camaraderie, overcoming impossible odds, being a real underdog, and and taking on forces that uh, really underestimate you and coming out on top and winning through sheer dedication and and through the support of a close knit crew, and uh, generally speaking, the tone of adventure as well in One Piece. I mean, with each new arc, you don't really know what you're going to see. You know, know what you're going to encounter. And so so those themes coupled with this massive pirate adventure story are what uh, drove me to One Piece, and that is why it is my number one. Awesome. And I, I'm i glad that you were able to give us your thoughts on it because it so, sort of helped me realize because you, you, you and the mutual friend that you had mentioned were a huge proponent in my uh, jump back into One Piece and why I like it as much as I do now is because, you know, you guys uh, – <laughs> You guys held strong and kept the faith, and I was one of those um, casual viewers. And then when it started getting good or the stories became interesting to me, that was when I started uh, eating it all up. So thank thank you for those thoughts, uh, Jack. It was very appreciative. Jay, what, what are your thoughts on Jack's Nine? So that was a very good first date, Jack. Just want you to know that. <laughs> so, because again, like if we're working on the premise that this is a the nine anime test is for like weaves Tinder, that I see, oh, oh, Jack, oh, Jackson, oh, it's a nice name. Let me look at his anime list. <laughs> uh, One Piece, okay, Tag on Titan, okay, Cowboy Bebop, Full Metal Alchemist, the original. I wanna, I might date him just because. I want to know why he doesn't like Brotherhood as much. And this will be all right. Quality, quality choice. Death Note, okay. He's he was he's American, and you know he's probably in his late twenties. Uh, Bakurano or Bakano, okay. Quality, one of the great masterpieces. Yu-Gi-Oh, four kids, uh, okay. All right, decent, decent, decent. I mean, if you put Digimon or Pokemon, uh, I would have also understood. But like your explanation of why you love all the series is like perfect and like. You would have had a nice dinner, but like if I was just looking from the listing, I would definitely swipe left. So swipe left before our conversation or before your explanation, but swipe right after your explanation. This is a typical underdog move. You underestimate the potential and then you talk and it's like, oh, this is better than I thought. <laughs> well, essentially, yes, because like yeah. there is a leaning towards like uh, your, you know, these are a shonen heavy series. There's like really no niche series on this like would say like right. why would i be turned off like all these series are like have good storytelling good pacing uh good resolutions with some of them but one piece 
Are you caught up to the final season of Attack on Titan? Uh, yes, I am. I watched season four, part one, almost to the day that the episodes came out. But I followed that, and uh, Sam and I were constant. I was constantly texting Sam and being like, "Oh, this happened in the show," and and we were updating each other on that. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, it is. I hated it because there would be those weeks where it's like one of us was ahead of the other, and we're like, "Stop working and get get like get current on the show so I can talk to you." Yeah, stop helping with their legal concerns and disputes. Yeah, but yeah. So uh, decent list, Jack. How about you sam i would say like it's it, it was a little rough for me but because like it, uh, a lot of it resonates with me as you said it's really shonen heavy so i i like shonens and i'll be like okay i've seen that if honestly if jack had not reached out to me and told me what initial d was i would be curious and try to figure out what it is so a, a lot it's not not 100 percent, but i would still swipe right on him so I would say like he he does pass for me, and the fact that he has for uh the Yu Gi Oh on there, it's it's just so honest. It's like I I, I have to make it a merit, <laughs> uh, a, a good merit in his favor. Uh, so yeah, you get one pass and you get one swipe left, but because of your explanations, you essentially pass on both ends, Jack. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you guys. <laughs> As you had mentioned earlier. Uh, today's topic of uh, discussion is, in fact, Steinsgate. And uh, from what I had mentioned earlier, I, I've uh, had suggested several other animes to you, but it's, I, I, I guess, like, like, at least, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is only from my uh, observation, because, like, whenever you do uh, start a new franchise or a new show, it seems like you, like it, you really do get involved with it i've seen it happen with uh doctor who and even how you talk about uh, star trek it seems like you sort of just immerse yourself into the franchise so i can see why you would be very particular about what you would want to digest so i guess like if you can get like give like a general overview before we uh give the synopsis why would why did you give Steinsgate a chance as opposed to some of the other animes that people were suggesting to you? Uh, the reason why I was uh, why I decided to give Steinsgate a chance it largely comes down to a few things. Uh, first of all, what you said earlier about you know me I am somewhat selective in the in the entertainment that I consume mainly because you know at, uh, at the time that uh, I was watching Steinsgate uh, we just finished I just finished my first year of law school. My roommate at the time had just finished his second year of law school, a man by the name of Richard, who I believe we all know. Uh, Richard, uh, like uh, Sam and Jay here, uh, Richard was very much uh, into television and film, and he had a, a massive library of anime and, and manga that he had um, discovered over the last uh, couple of years. He, he's older, slightly older than me, but uh, he spent years and years and years watching anime. And Richard uh, had essentially the same objective that Sam, that you have, which is to say, okay, so, you know, Jack likes this type of story, this type of setting, this type of genre, so there's got to be an anime that will sort of plug into that and address those things and uh, give a, an interesting sort of twist on that type of story formula. And so Richard uh, was the one who said, I'm going to show Jack Steinsgate, and uh you know, summer 2015, so just just over six years ago, 
Uh, he and I were working the same job, and during breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we would sit in front of the TV and watch uh, this show. Um, oh my goodness! Yeah, you, all the way, all the way through. Yeah, it seemed like uh, you guys put in the work. <laughs> yeah, no, and and what was interesting is you know I remember, as I recall, the first uh, several episodes, I was uh, I was still sort of testing it out. I had no idea what the story was ultimately going to become. Richard did not tell me, and I think he did that very deliberately. Okay, so um, he, he made you go in in there blind, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, for example, did not say, hey, start paying attention around this episode. He didn't say anything like that. He just sort of let me watch it, and he said, just trust me, just give this, just, just watch it. And then by the time the episode hit a certain point, which we'll uh, address, I guess, more in the spoiler section, I was absolutely hooked, and I was like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Awesome. That, that that that's very good to hear. Yeah, and um, Richard knew that I was uh, big into time travel stories, and so I think that was the biggest uh, thing that he sort of used to hook me into to start it. Okay. No, that that that's awesome. Um, Jay, uh, before today's episode, were you exposed to Sky Steinsgate at all? Have you watched it? Have you heard of it? Oh, just on the barrier that it basically was for a lot of fans i guess back in the days of 2011 but yeah it's very funny thinking about steins gate you know retrospectively because it is that series that a lot of you know those pretentious glass pushed up weeds will say like oh you haven't <laughs> the watched gatekeepers Face. yeah the gatekeepers <laughs> of the community will kind of use as a barrier to entry so steins gate was always that for me that people that i wanted to speak about with like sci-fi because it's so much of my, I guess, my genre now that I'm learning from you, Sam, like supporting my dive back into Mecca. But it's always been that series that I kind of shied away from for that negative emotional feedback that I got originally. So like, don't call yourself a fan if you haven't seen Steingate. Same thing with like the Faith Day series. Oh, you should watch this. You're not, you don't really like anime if you don't watch this. Or same thing with the Studio Ghibli movies. Like, how have you not watched this? You're a terrible fan if you don't watch these films. <laughs> so that's the only exposure I got to Steins Gates at the time. And now that I'm revisiting after 10 years, I have some many thoughts about it. Awesome. So let me go ahead, get into the synopsis, and then we can talk about uh, the first three episodes where we're not getting into spoilers, and then we can get into spoilers, okay? All that is to say that the different time codes will be in our description. And so let's start talking about Steins Gate. And uh, essentially... This series was based off of a science fiction visual novel of the same name, which was developed by 5PB uh, and Nectropolis. And this particular game was a sequel to another well-known franchise known as Chaos Head, which was also a visual novel that became an anime uh, as well. And essentially... In this series, we follow a self-proclaimed mad scientist known as Rintaro Okabe, who goes by the non-diplume of Hoin Kiyoma. And essentially, we follow him and his friends uh, and, who live in Akihabara. And essentially, I think he's in high... I, I think he's in college? It was sort of like a passing comment. But essentially... He has this quote-unquote club where they call themselves the Future Gadget Lab. And they essentially do 
different projects that tickle their fancy. Like they made a laser gun that can control their local TV set, as well as I think they were trying to uh, build a drone. First, I, it, it seems like they they were uh, doing uh, experiments stuff like that, and we follow them going to a conference in turn uh, a conference in regards to time travel, and from there on we see them essentially making this contraption that they dubbed the phone way, where they where it not only makes bananas go back to where they were in a green and gloopy state but they are able to send themselves messages that would go backwards in time and we essentially go down the rabbit hole that's them uh stumbling upon time travel essentially does and let's see i'm trying to think if there's anything else but uh essentially uh the licensors are by the licensor is by Funimation, the studio is White Fox, and the genre is, as we said, sci-fi. It's a psychological drama thriller. It's uh twenty-four minutes per episode. The rating is PG thirteen and older, surprisingly. And as I said, uh it's available on Funimation. And real quick before we go on. Am I correct in assuming that both of you had seen Steinsgate in the English dub? That's true for me. That's also true for me. Okay. Because, oh, uh, one other thing that I have forgotten. So, uh, aside from the anime, they were also given a uh, 24-minute uh, OVA special that happened afterwards. and. Right. Uh, right after, sorry, right before we had uh, started this podcast, I had uh, watched the OVA to sort of uh, have Steinsgate flooded in my head again. And <laughs> I did the surprising thing of watching it in Japanese just, 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 to, just to see. And I have to say, I much prefer the dub. Oh my goodness, the voice that they gave Daru which is uh uh o- Ocarine's uh, uh th- that's the pen name that they give uh Okabe uh his uh his friend Daru oh my goodness it's it sounds so goofy in uh Japanese like the the original uh Japanese is so jarring it's like it's like seeing uh uh dubbing it it, it felt as though that it was done in English first, and that they had dubbed it over in Japanese. Like that's how jarring it was for me. So I'm definitely glad that I had watched it in English because they did a very, very good job. Yeah, there's um, there's a number of there was a number of challenges. I don't know if you guys looked into the the process of dubbing it and how it was written, but there are a lot of lines throughout the series that were. Uh, in the original Japanese, intended to sort of be a riff on English words. Um, the uh, Hoenn Kiyoma personality spoke a lot of English in the original Japanese, and that created sort of a, a translation challenge for when they were doing the dub because it didn't necessarily fit the context. And so um, J. Michael Tatum had a lot to do with that. He is the Funimation voice actor who voiced uh, the main character, uh, Rintaro Okabe, to perfection. Um, if uh, to, not to 
not to bring one piece back into this podcast, but if you know J. Michael Tatum from anything, you probably would recognize him as God Inaru from One Piece. So That's the only reason why the dubbing is great, is because you have dubbing from One Piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, J. Michael Tatum is absolutely incredible in this part, and, and uh, he really throws it into it. So if you watch the series, watch the dub, I think that'll come across very well. Jay, do you have any uh, thoughts on uh, the dubbing? Uh, just in terms of why I actually watched the dub over the like the Japanese original is because I wanted to make sure that I was understanding what was going on because with time travel, it already has that layer of complication to it. So that's yeah. why I went with the English dub versus the Japanese because usually I do like to uh, view it in its original context. But with this, I just put that to the side because there is a lot of explanations they do when we get into the uh, the spoiler part of like basically yeah. past episode 12 when they're actually explaining everything fully that I want to make sure I was tuned in for and I didn't want to be reading it as well as watching it. So just for the reason that I would recommend always watching the dub over the Japanese for this, or at least in your first viewing. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel as though like uh, uh, agreeing to what Jack had mentioned earlier, just the translation, it felt as I said, like it felt like this was written by Americans just because of the dialect and the phrasing that was used and even how relaxed the voice actors were. Again, like with Daru, him being, excuse me, the uh, computer hacker for the Future Gadget Lab, how he basically talks in neat speak, but it's done in a casual way, whereas, you know, you can understand what he's saying if you even if you don't really recognize uh the vernacular and just like the different things that they were able to do like for instance with the maid cafe that they go to they call the uh waitresses call the people meowsters whereas in the japanese dub they would just say meow at the end of every sentence so you know they still took the essence of the spirit of the maid cafe and they still brought it into the English dub. So, like I said, it was just very, very masterfully done. Oh, I was just going to uh, mention, too, that w in addition to the kind of translation challenges that you deal with, there's also a number of references uh, in the show that um, references to different sci-fi properties and different uh, actual scientific theories and, and the works by different physicists and scientists in history. Uh, but two references. This isn't a spoiler at all for the content of the series, but there are references made not only to Doctor Who, uh, but to Star Trek The Next Generation, which they made me very happy on my rewatch when I picked up on these. It's like, yes! Yeah. They are true nerds! They are true geeks! <laughs> these are my people. But yeah, so, just just riffing off, off on that, right? Uh, this them being geeks and nerds like they really do uh know a little bit about the uh different uh franchises that are out there and this story is essentially about time travel so just to sort of tip our toe into it like do you guys have what is your earliest memory of being exposed to time travel in the visual medium uh, this can be like TV, uh, books, or movies. Uh, Jack, we could start off with you. Sure. Um, so I think for me, the first recollection that I have is probably uh, an episode of Star Trek, the original series, which was, uh, I would have to say, in 
from the time I was age eight, probably the first fandom that I ever really just threw myself into was Star Trek, the original series. Uh, one of the most popular episodes, uh, some say the best episode of that series, is an episode called The City on the Edge of Forever, in which um, an accident aboard the ship causes the doctor to inject himself with uh, something that kind of makes him go crazy and like a maniac, finds himself on a planet below, and runs headlong into a time portal that takes him back to 1930s New York. Now... When that happens, the rest of the crew of the Enterprise notice that everything around them has changed. There is no Federation, there is no Starfleet from which they, they came, and they discover that uh, their doctor has somehow changed history, and so they go back into the time portal in an attempt to fix the mistake that uh, the doctor made. And uh, I won't really go into the, the plot of the episode, but that was so fascinating to me. It was the idea that you could literally take a step through a portal and end up not just in a different place, but in a completely different time. And in this episode, it was time travel into the past. And uh, it was the first exposure I had to the idea of the so-called butterfly effect, where if you go into the past and change things, um, it has the potential to drastically alter the flow of everything that comes after that uh, decision or that action that you take in the past. No, that, that, that's, that's, that's really good. Uh, I think you did show me that episode. But we're gonna have to uh talk a little bit later, and you're gonna have to help me knock off the cobwebs uh from the TOS shows that you've shown me. Now, uh, Jay, what about you? Yeah, Jack had a very respectable answer, and I think I feel silly with mine. But uh, do you remember? I guess there is a film back in the early '90s, I believe, called A Kid in King Arthur's Court. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, it's one of those where well, I barely had a VHS if anyone knows what a VHS is anymore. But it <laughs> is one of the tapes that I had along with uh, the Rugrats movie and a couple of like TV show movies that I liked very much growing up in the 90s. But yeah, King Arthur, or, or King, a kid in King Arthur's court is basically a Brooklyn kid, I believe, falls through a tear in you know, space-time and he basically gets sent back to the Middle Ages. And it's one of those... Time travel doesn't isn't really involved much. It's just one of those convenient things to get a character to a certain time period. And the whole gimmick of the movie is that he's a Brooklyn street tough, so he's bringing his street smarts back to the Middle Ages to get things done and try to uh, unravel a plot against King Arthur. I forgot who the main uh, antagonist of the series was, but it's probably nothing with the Arthurian tales <laughs> involved with that. It was just a neat gimmick. But yeah, that plus uh, our our friend uh, Martin, I believe, or our pal Martin. It was a Martin Luther King uh, story basically showing his uh, his career and his life uh, at different points. And two teenagers are just traveling back. Kind of one of those educational series that they showed in school to kind of around uh, MLK Day. But yeah, those are my two earliest stories. Both of you guys have respectful stuff <laughs> because like, like when you, when you mentioned kid of King Arthur's Court, it reminded me of that Martin Lawrence movie. I think it was black Knight, where he, he was thrown in the past uh, too. Um, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would think like for me, it was either. No, no, I don't think it was that. I would say like for me, it was probably Dragon Ball Z where we had future trunks, you know, like show up. Right. And he's like, I'm from the future. And like, I think like that was like the first time that like I've seen something that that had dealt with it. I mean, or at least like 
I followed it. I've, I've seen stuff like Frequency or whatever, but it never really took my interest. Um, but like when it happened in Dragon Ball Z, it, it sort of like exposed me to, I guess, the typical uh, manner of time travel that uh, Americans uh, think of, like uh, in Back to the Future, it uh, uses the same logic. Sort of uh, segues to like my next question, right? Like, uh, Jay and I, we've, we've spoken before in the past, there seems to be two uh, categories of time travel stories. One where you really focus on the method of time travel, and this is uh, done in uh, the MCU's Endgame and in uh, the movie Tenet. Uh, and there's also the character focus of time travel, such as uh, Doctor Who or uh, Flint the Time Detective, which is an anime from the nineteen uh, uh, from nineteen ninety eight, where they essentially focus on uh, the people and their adventures. So similar to a kid of King Arthur's court, that sort of thing. And I guess like my my question to you two is like, which do you prefer? Uh, in storytelling, do you uh, prefer when they focus on the characters or do you prefer when they focus on the method of travel? Uh, Jay, we can start with you. Well, it definitely depends on the story itself because you have those two categories of stories that involve time travel and then stories about time travel. Mm -hmm. And I can only think of maybe five in the past decade that really come to mind when I think about like decent time travel movies. It's like Arrival, Tenet, Predestination, Looper, Edge of Tomorrow. And those are just stories about time travel. So yeah. I don't think I really care when it's just, oh, displace this person in time. Because, yes, that's always, I guess that's interesting on the premise of what can they actually do to affect their surroundings? What can being misplaced in time actually do for that character? So, like, Maybe Cloud Atlas is a very weird example of that because it focuses on characters throughout different time periods, but essentially they're all the same character. But uh, for me, when it's a series property, any form of media that goes into the paradox, paradox around time travel, like what does that machine or what does that invention actually do for the world, that's where I get the most interest or intrigue from um with other animes uh, yeah going from um real world <laughs> real world uh but animes that i'm thinking about we just yes. looked at vivi um this past That's season right, as well yeah. as tokyo revengers this season as well as last season about like good storytelling that does both essentially so like vivi isn't about time travel essentially it's about her traveling through time or not really Actually, now I'm thinking out loud. Yeah, she's just an android existing throughout all time, but it does have time mm -hmm. travel in it. So um, to say I side with one over the other, it's definitely when it's the time focus or the time is focused on how does the travel actually affect the world at large. That, that That's fair. But it seems like if, if you just focus on the method, it seems as though or if you go with a method focus, it seems as though like uh whatever however they do it like it does uh impact the world uh at, at large and we, we could talk a little bit about that um later on uh jack what what are your thoughts 
method focused over character focused or are they comparable oh man it's uh you know not to to sound repetitive but i think what jay said about it kind of depending on the type of story you're trying to tell i think it really does because um i can give you some good examples like you know with doctor who for example right we we've talked a little bit about doctor who but one of the things about doctor who is time travel is so crucial to the formula of that show like time and space from beginning to end, is essentially the playground for the characters to, to really explore. They travel through time in the same way they would take a train or, or travel on a boat to go somewhere else on a journey, really. And it's it's so it's so assumed in the show. Uh, but even then, you'll notice in Doctor Who, there are several episodes where the act of traveling in time has profound, deep, resonating impact on the characters involved. Um, for one example, there's an episode in the first season of the Revive show uh, called Father's Day with Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor and Billy Piper playing Rose. That episode is a great example of how you can travel in time and space for you know a few episodes prior, and then boom, you're doing time travel in a way that involves communicating and revisiting a lost loved one, somebody that you never knew because they died. Um, seeing that and seeing time travel affect characters personally and change their vantage point is so fascinating to me. And I think it's one of the reasons why I love time travel. You know, uh, We all uh, wish we could communicate with people that are no longer with us, that we knew. Uh, we all wish that you know we could visit people who we read about in history books or learned about in school, and we wish we could have dinner with them and ask them questions about things. Um, I think what Jay said earlier about it, you know, it's very interesting to see how time travel affects the world at large uh, but I would say too you know my favorite time travel stories are time travel stories where the people and the individuals affected by the process of time travel mm-hmm. are irrevocably changed uh, because of it you know for, for good or ill but mostly you know as a, a means of resolution and time travel sort of acting as a coping mechanism to deal with things like loss and, and stuff like that so I would have to err on the side of saying you know, I, I prefer time travel stories where the people are the focus. Oh, that, that that sounds good. That way, you know, it's more grounded, it's more intimate. And because when you go on the method focused, where it's just focusing on the world, you sort of lose the sight of the trees through the forest. Because even though uh, the characters are doing stuff, because they're so focused on the big picture, they sort of lose sight of themselves in the process. So I can, I can see why... Um, the character focus is uh, why, why it's in its high regard. And the reason why I bring this question up is because as we follow Steinsgate throughout the process, at least like to me personally, it seems like it hops back and forth between the method focus and the character focus. And I sort of wanted your thoughts on this as well. Do you think that Steinsgate uh, essentially sticks to one character throughout the whole show i'm sorry through one category throughout the whole show or does it hop back and forth like uh, what i say we can start out with you jack i was gonna say i i think steinsgate actually tries very hard to satisfy the demands of both of those methods of telling a story about time travel i think they try really hard mm-hmm. and i think they get very very close i i'll confess that you know some time travel plots are easier to follow and understand than others and Steinsgate does not hold your hand. Um, it, it, it doesn't leave you completely adrift in figuring out what's going on. 
thanks to some some visual effects and thanks to some expository dialogue, which you just have to have. But Steinsgate really tries to focus, I think, on on the method and on the characters involved and the impact on the characters. I would say pretty close to 50-50. If I had to say Steinsgate aired on the side of one over the other, I would say probably character. Um, okay. Because we follow the main character and his friends through the effects of time travel, and the effects of time travel are measured by the effects on the characters in a way. No, that, that that's a good point. What what about you, Jay? What, what's your opinion on this? <laughs> Again, not going back and forth, just echoing each yeah. other. But I do think that is one of the identifiable problems of Steins Gate as a whole is that mm-hmm. they it does try to do a 50-50 split between those two categories. And the time that it gives to the human drama, I guess you call it, is very maybe weak or uh, what would you call it? watered down for certain reasons that we can talk about in the spoiler section. But yeah. a lot of the characterization is missing for me, especially when I was watching it for the first time, knowing how the... I wasn't completely spoiled to how the series uh, goes, but for the emotional attachment I was supposed to be getting from these characters and caring about them for whatever reasons, backstory, dialogue, interactions, I wasn't really feeling that. So I would say that I vibe with 50% of the series, but wherever they did delve into like the characterization and why I should care so much about what happens to them, why they become victims of time travel and want to see a happy ending for all the characters. I wasn't really vibing with that at all. So it does side, it does land itself on the fence, but I wish it landed in the uh, focus more heavily on how time travel works over the characters. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. So moving forward it will definitely be I'm, I'm glad that i have you guys now for like this conversation because one of you likes the method focus a little bit more and the other one likes the character focus a little bit more so this this is this is good this is a good matchup right here. <laughs> but um so i guess like moving forward right uh talking a little bit more about Steinsgate, is there have you watching this as opposed to some of the other time travel stories that you have seen was there anything different that Steinsgate added to this genre that you hadn't seen prior to? We could start out with you, Jay. Uh, along the lines of like what it innovates on is maybe Okabe, maybe he falls into this category, but I find him to be a very unreliable narrator. And you <laughs> really don't see that with time travel stories because time travel in and of itself is already hard to comprehend, but then you get into a character going through some kind of cognitive disability, I guess. It was really hard to tell if that's what they were leaning for, unless they were just making a quirky um, mad scientist type, kind of like Dr. Horrible. Um, I forgot, Neil Patrick Harris, Dr. Horrible. Yes. (laughs) It was kind of odd for me to see him be the main focus of the story because of the more reliable character in, oh, what is her name? Is it Kurosu? Kurosu? The red-haired, um, Kurosu, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the red-haired uh, neo-scientist, yeah. neuroscientist. But yeah, like her pairing up with him makes that shared protagonist role so much more endearing and tolerable for me. But for 
such a intricate story that it gets into the later half, I guess past episode 12 when blah, blah, blah happens, is that <laughs> up to that point, Okabe is so off-putting that it's weird that they went that direction uh, to make him the main character. So I'm just saying that the thing that they innovate on is to make the main character not annoying, but to give him such a distinct personality is that it drives your interest in him or what he's doing, but in an odd way. So I'm okay. going to say that he added to like something new to the dynamic of time travel. Oh, that, that, that's fair. Like you said, approaching it with a character that's not necessarily uh, fits the stereotype of a time travel story. But he was so different that he wasn't annoying because of the pairings made it feel more natural. Am I correct in saying that, Jay? Oh, yeah, because, I mean, he has friends. He's likable. I mean, maybe not likable, but he has this Oh, magnetism. he has to be likable to some some extent <laughs> to have friends. <laughs> I mean, he has this magnetism to him, which yeah. is kind of hard to explain if you see it from the outside in. Like, you, everyone has that weird friend in their group. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> what is that strange yeah. attraction? Why are they so endeared to this character? And that's kind of what pushes you forward with his character and to say like you said sam is like to make him the main focus of a time travel story when the whole point of time travel is kind of wish fulfillment which jack brought up it's like you always want mm -hmm. to revisit a moment or correct a mistake or see an opportunity that did not exist to you because we're forward moving in time that's why i would talk about midnight in paris which is also celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year um and it's just a story of a novelist who is blocked or has writer's block. And he has the ability to travel to points in time where he's seeing like his literary inspirations uh, working on what will become their masterpieces. So it's kind of like that parallel. So it's okay. interesting that Okabe or however you want to call him by his multiple names throughout the series. But he is so fascinating that you want to stick with the story even though that human element I said is the probably the downside to the story in total. That, that's that's fair. Uh, Jack, what 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 in your opinion what sets Steins Gate apart from other time travel uh, stories you've been exposed to? Uh, right off the bat, the use of the word world line instead of alternate timeline that was that was new to me. And I'll tell you this too: uh, Avengers Endgame uh, sort of brought to the mainstream the theory of branch time travel i won't i won't discuss the plot of that film but essentially in a lot of sci-fi that i've been exposed to almost all the sci-fi in in doctor who and star trek presupposes this sort of i guess you want to call it loop theory basically yeah. it says you go back into the past you do something that changes the flow of time if you go back to the present you're dealing with a different present and it may not be different like to, to a crazy degree but but you going to the past changes the present that you return to uh branch theory of time travel is very different that basically says you go into the past and you do something different you go into the forward you go into the present and the timeline is the same that you left because what you have done is you have created a branch an alternate timeline that you can never go into or return to so using time travel to go into the past change something use time travel to go back into the present you're going to the same present that you knew beforehand. You can't access the timeline with the changes that you made to it. 
And what Steinsgate does is it's sort of, I'm not going to say that it, it splits the baby and keeps both approaches. I think it mm-hmm. keeps more of the branch theory because jumping from timeline to timeline to timeline, we don't really have, except for I think maybe a few instances, a situation where you go back into the past to correct the present. It A lot of the plot involves hopping from one timeline to another to explore the options available to the characters. I guess it's, it's, that was sort of my perception for much of the series. And I think it was so interesting. Instead of calling them timelines, to call them world lines, I, you know, I, I had a hard time sort of understanding what was meant by that at first, but now mm-hmm. I kind of appreciate that because it is trying to do something different than saying the, the, I guess the mundane expected phrase alternate timeline, something that everybody hears. Um, so Steins Gate essentially functioned as my intro to this idea that, oh, time travel basically involves you branching off from timeline to timeline to timeline to timeline and going around and doing that. Yeah, because like you said, Jack, there is a, you know, don't throw the baby baby out with the bathwater kind of comparison of they do, or even in the first episode, they open with like, your understanding of time travel is wrong, is that right. there's not just one timeline if we're talking about like loki if anyone's seen loki but like sacred timeline (laughs) there's no just sacred timeline there's branches that every single instance in a person's life creates a infinite number of universes but also in those later 12 episodes which we'll get around to there's also the butterfly effect that complicates that issue further because of when you start meddling with time there are a cascading effect of events that you have to either proceed with or reverse if you want to get to a different world line. So I think that's what you're talking about, Jack, is that uh, there are kind of two competing theories that compound with each other. I don't know. Uh, I love both of your points. You've done very, very well, like like you had mentioned earlier, Jay, uh, how different uh, Okabe's character is. Like like that. that's a good uh, difference in, in the genre and even your, your your opinion jack like i i'm glad that you made that connection because I, I didn't really think about it now like as you said like the branch there he's basically hopping between the branches trying to get back to the correct one quote unquote so it's uh definitely interesting um like i i really do appreciate uh those uh different perspectives and for me one thing that uh this show really did was uh, I think uh, you, you were you were the one that met, mentioned this earlier, Jack. Was like how it really references like the real world theories and uh, the different uh, entities, such as uh, CERN, which is a uh, real organization that has an actual hydron collider that they had mentioned in the show, and even oh, John man. Teeter. I would be so I would be so interested to see if they sued anybody because of this. What do you mean you're making an anime where we're a antagonist? <laughs> you're not the antagonist now, but later on, <laughs> right? And yeah. uh, as I was saying, like uh, the character, the character um, or the uh, persona known as John Teeter, I wasn't privy to him before the show, and like I did some research, well, mild research. I went on Wikipedia. And, you know, the fact that, like, he was an actual thing in, like, uh, the forum, like, just the fact that, like, they took these, like, real-world elements and 
the way that they went through the different world lines, it made me appreciate the amount of work and time that they put into making this story. So it, it, it was it was just uh, very interesting uh, to me in that regard. And so we, we, we were able to talk a little bit about the general overview of Science Gate. So uh, w- without really giving much of spoilers, trying to compare it to different uh, time travel stuff that we had seen before. So I feel as though now is a good time to go into spoiler territory. And again, just to remind the audience that the description, the time codes are in the description. So if you don't want to hear timey-wimey spoilery stuff, turn it off now or jump to the end. I gave you some time, so now we're moving forward. Now, both of you had mentioned a big turn in the franchise, and uh, it seems like you both really, really want to talk about it. So, uh, Jay, we can start out with you. You mentioned episode 12. Was this the big turn for you in the franchise? Oh, yeah, for sure, because... Okay, for one, to close off our non-spoiler discussion, it completely fails the three-episode tests that we do yeah. because of one, it leans so heavily into that character-driven drama. It's like, when you get to those first three episodes, there's no reason to continue the show. There's no forward <laughs> uh, intent or progression. And given that it's 24 episodes, I was like, okay, maybe it's going to come around to episode six. And episode six is where they basically uh, functionally find out the rules of how D-mail works. And, of course, mm-hmm. D-mail is short for DeLorean mail, which is kind of cool. Um, <laughs> they do a roundtable discussion of names, and I like some other, yeah, yeah. The other names a little bit better. But to say that with episode 12, it's the episode where Mamori dies. She gets shot in the head, and... You know, that's the PG rating. PG-13. Oh, you're talking about uh, Mayuri. Mayuri, yeah. Mayuri, yeah. Get shot in the head, and that's the PG-13 rating. Don't show any, like, a blood trickle, but that's it, essentially. And that very much changes the whole genre of the show, because the first 12 episodes is like, hey, mad scientist is running around with his grandson, essentially, kind of getting to weird about roundabout things, and basically causing everything that needs to be unraveled in the second half of the show because of like luca wants to be a boy wait luca wants to be a girl um there's there's so many different characters that they introduce like they are introduced to build up the second half of the series and the whole second half of the series is purely about the mechanics of time travel like in episode six they figure out like one second equals an hour in a day essentially and that the message, if they're doing Gmail, has only a certain bit rate or bit mm-hmm. storage that they can send back. I think it's like 36 letters, essentially. And then they go into the idea of transferring consciousness uh, backwards in time as well. So all that happens in the later half. And then it fails in the first three episode tests because of the same reason is that not much is really determined not much is really focused on in the time travel aspect. Like they figure out the rules in episode six and then they see the consequences of pursuing time travel with a sinister organization with like, if you're a Illuminati kind of conspiracy, uh, conspiracy theorist, you're kind of like, of course this, yeah, of course this tracks a, a organization that has a hydron collider, of course would be <laughs> evil, um, which is any villain, you know, mentality is that I remember when the, Hydrant Collider news came out, what, 
10 years, 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, they were like, don't worry, everyone. There's like a point zero fifteen to the point of 15. Oh, man. I'm not, I'm not trying to interject, but I remember there was this one politician, uh, American politician, that basically was trying to say, no, it's not that percentage. It's not like 0.15% chance. It's 50-50. It either will destroy the world or it won't. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I do remember that because I believe it was all over uh, Fox News, but I'm giving him the proper platform. But it's like zero to the 15th power that would unlikely to ever happen. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of what this sh- uh, the show kind of disputes, I guess, is that, yes, they would keep the results of their experimentation secret because once people have the power to time travel, there is just so much chaos. And they, like Jack said, they, they mentioned chaos theory. They mentioned like the branch theory. They mentioned all these scientific terms that even if you have passing uh, familiarity with is that, oh, oh, I've heard that before, or I know what they're talking about. So I very much enjoyed the second half of the season. I forgot your original question, Sam. No, 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 no. You, you, you pretty much hit on it. Whereas, okay, cool. like, you know, what was the turn of the show for you? It got better. It got enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you went into like why it got better because, okay. as you said, like up until that point, like they didn't really, they, they, they didn't do enough characterization for you. And I, I agree. Like they could have done more. Like we could have had a better uh, establishment on the relationship between. Uh, Mayuri, Okabe, and Daru, um, and uh, Riku before the time travel stuff happened, but it seemed like uh, it was a, a lot of shock and awe to get you to keep going because of uh, I forgot her name. Uh, uh, Kirisu's uh, apparent death, like it was sort of like that shock factor that made you keep going. But, uh, Jack, uh, I throw the question to you because you also mentioned a big turning point, uh, for you in the show that made you keep going because you mentioned that, like, the, you, you had given it some time, like, it was, it wasn't the first three episodes, it was like episode six, like, you were sort of forcing yourself to keep watching. What was the time in which the show had gravitated on you that, uh, dug its claws into you and said, you're gonna be with me until the, the ride is over? I mean, yeah, to, to, Again, not to echo, but but to come at it from like a different kind of a different angle. It was definitely the death of Mayuri uh, in in episode twelve. Uh, but but even even prior to that, the striking image of masked gunmen running up into that apartment mm-hmm. and you know being led by uh, Moeka in her her. I mean, let's be honest, fan service agent outfit. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but that striking image of impending violence and then the death of one of the main characters, after pretty much 11 episodes of mostly Slice of Life, uh, <laughs> that was so striking and so surprising. And um, all of the characters basically have no clue that this attack is coming and so it's it's naturally a huge surprise for the audience and there's no foreshadowing of it there's i mean there's sort of this this moment where they quote unquote hack into cern mm-hmm. and you sort of begin to piece together that moica has been spying on them with everything to do with the ibm 5100 and and all this other stuff so so only when it happens do you go oh this is how that happened 
And I think, you know, to talk a little bit about the, the, the fact that the series is, you know, for all intents and purposes, split into two halves um, from a from a focus story perspective, I guess. Uh, knowing what happens in the second half of the series made the first half a little bit more interesting to watch because you can see the threads, not just necessarily of the time travel stuff, but threads of the plot. Uh, begin to to ravel together into what can can come before, and it creates a sort of sense of anticipation. There is a brief image in the first episode of Suzuha uh, waving in uh, somebody away from the from the time capsule that lands on the roof prior to the time capsule crashing into the building. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of little subtle things in those first that that first eleven episodes that, frankly, it, it feels like when you watch the movie Fight Club for the first time and nobody spoiled it for you and you don't know that uh, you don't know the ultimate twist of that film and then when you rewatch Fight Club you see oh all the this is how yeah. yeah so from a so applying that to the story of Steins Gate the first half is I think supported by the second half in that way but no I mean that that turning point and, and not just the death of Mayuri uh, but the subsequent dozens and dozens of deaths of Maori in the different world lines as as Okabe is haphazardly leaping uh, from timeline to timeline with one goal in mind, trying to save her life and, and running the risk of shredding his own mental health in the process. I mean, that, um, I know, it, you know, fans of the show, people who are familiar with it and, and listening to the spoiler section probably know this, but J. Michael Tatum had a breakdown during the recording booth. He did? Um, no, yeah, he didn't. He, Yes, he did. And, and the only reason I'm saying this, I, if it was a private situation where he said that in private, I wouldn't be talking about this. But he said so in a panel um, that you can find. You can actually find him talking about this on YouTube. But there was a there was a moment where, because of a number of personal things that that uh, J. Michael Tatum doesn't necessarily go into, uh, recording the lines of him uh, crying out over the death of Mayuri was essentially him experiencing a breakdown in the recording booth and they opted to keep in the recording oh my goodness that sort of reminds me of uh michael b jordan's interview after he did black panther he said that he had to go to therapy because to do the character for killmonger he had to go to a dark place to bring that character to life so you know it sort of just reminds me that like with actors whether they're just voice actors or they're uh, actors in front of the camera that sometimes when you do method acting to that degree like how like uh, sometimes lines can be blurred and can affect your mental psyche that way. yeah and I, and I think that that episode 12 and episode 13 maybe even a, a little bit of 14 I don't I don't mm-hmm. 100% recall but that space of time is pretty much dominated by you seeing Okabe jump and jump and jump and fail and fail and fail and I think that was also the moment in the show. You know, Jay, Jay mentioned uh, Okabe being a very annoying, sort of sort of infuriating, off-putting type of character with a weird personality. I think that's, I definitely agreed with, with that kind of assessment of him. But I think it was episode 12, 13, and 14 where that was the first time I really liked the character because I felt sorry for him. And because what you, the audience, are seeing happening to him again and again and again and again is something that none of the other characters in the show are, you know, aware of in in the moment. Eventually, they learn, oh, this is what he's been doing all this time. But to see him jump and fail and jump and fail and seeing what he sees, 
experiencing the failures that he is experiencing. That created a tremendous amount of, of a shift in how I perceived uh, not just the series as a whole, but the main character. You know, that, that sort of stays in the second half of the series because Okabe will make a world line jump and then the characters will be like in mid-conversation with him or he'll be in the lab and then all of a sudden you will see his head droop. You will see his posture sag. You'll see his eyes grow heavy and you see a character that is, I mean, he's still the same person, but he's so affected by all of the things that we know he has seen and done uh, that that is, you know, further solidifying the shift in the perception of the main character as well as the overall story. I think there is also something additional that needs to be said about his character because, and there is an episode 25, I think, it has a very weird title, but it is basically because this is a visual novel and visual novels usually have roots is that one of the episodes is dedicated to what happens when he fails to save um now why is her name all this my no 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 um oh. he, he 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 saves maori but he fails to save Kurusu, yeah yeah and he just gives up and becomes a normal high school college student and he abandons that mad scientist persona and i watched that episode and i was like so all of that pompous pretentious kind of shakespearean way of talking that kind of it reminded me of um rosencrantz and gildenstern <laughs> um, <laughs> like taking these like absurd or these mundane moments and like raising them to shakespearean drama levels of like bethian proportions and that's his character but that's not who he is and what Jack is saying around episode 12, 13, 14 is that you're seeing his persona worn down, that he can't keep up this image that he sees as himself as a adversary of CERN or this mad scientist destined for greatness, is that his real character is being, or his persona is being broken down. So you get to see his real um, personality his real come through and yeah. that his childhood friend is getting killed over and over again. And I kind of don't believe that he would make the choice not to save Mayori over saving, um, re, uh, wow, her name. Kirisu. Kirisu, because that's the end choice that he makes. And at the end is that, who do I value most? And Kirisu does say, save Mayori because I know what it's doing to you. It's breaking you down to a like unidentified level of who you used to be. And he's like, that's my my life is not worth that. Your life, her life, my life isn't worth that because it's two lives for one because she's a scientist, essentially. But yeah, I very much enjoyed that. So again, when it divides at episode 12, that's why I love it so much. This guy you <laughs> really get a sense of Okabe's person versus his persona. That that uh, I'm, I'm glad that you had mentioned the roots because it's sort of like uh, uh, you had touched on them a little bit before, Jay. Um, as mentioned earlier, this anime was based off of a video game. And I think, Jack, you, you mentioned that you had uh, played the video game, correct? Oh, man, I, I tried to play the video game. I think that's probably a better <laughs> a better way of putting it. Essentially, like, imagine the pacing of the show, but, like, a third as fast. So, so, so it's mainly just, like, build up? Uh, yeah, and, well, I'll tell you this. Imagine if Steinsgate was written by J.R.R. Tolkien and you had an explanation for everything that, that was happening and background <laughs> oh, on everything that was going on. So he had to um, get up to go to the bathroom because it was 2 o'clock and the sun was at <laughs> 5 degrees in the sky. <laughs> no. um, that, that's sort of what it felt like to me. 
and, okay. I, and I will say that the so so Steins Gate. I don't know if we've really discussed like the history of the the franchise or anything, but yeah. the visual novel was how it began. That came out in I believe two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. It was then adapted into the anime that we're discussing today, and then it was adapted into a manga later on, which I have not read and and I don't know how to get my hands on. But um, the uh, the turning point in the character that that Jay referenced, where uh, Okabe gives up uh, time travel and opts for a lifestyle more consistent with, I guess, what we would call a, a more level-headed or a more normal person that is i interestingly enough that's also the subject of a spin-off series that's also 24 episodes called the uh, steinsgate zero mm-hmm. um which i have not seen and and i'll be perfectly honest i'm a little hesitant to because uh, the story of the original series i think is so good and and developed and i think it concludes well um but uh but no yeah I, uh, as far as the game goes, one interesting thing about the game is that there are a number of different ways to end the game. And I think we've, we've talked about this. There's different paths that you can take, and they usually revolve around who Okabe ends up with romantically. Yeah. Which is kind of weird because the show doesn't, I mean, the show, there's, there's a handful of episodes toward the, uh, toward the, the late teens in the series where the episodes you, you get the impression you see like this episode is pretty heavily focused on Luca. This episode is pretty heavily focused on Moica. This yeah. episode's pretty heavily focused on Ferris. And I think the reason for that is in the game, there is a real sort of point where the characters can choose to end up with any one of these characters. And there are different endings that you can see online of how the how Okabe ends up with these different characters, which is very interesting and very weird to me because i feel like the way the show handles okabe and his uh you know romantic feelings for kurosu is like the only way to go <laughs> that's just me i guess people who played the game may feel differently i don't know yes the the, the otp that is uh okabe and uh kurosu but um i i did uh bring that up because uh i when i first in my first viewing of science gate i wasn't aware of the visual novel uh the video game that's that, that's what i had referred to it as and so when i had watched those uh, episodes with those characters i felt as though it was taking that characterization aspect that jay uh, had mentioned that it was lacking and essentially trying to info dump you in those uh, episodes with them but going back and watching it you know knowing about the visual the history of the visual novel i realized that was essentially Okabe playing with the idea of pursuing the roots of, you know, uh, having uh, that romantic pursuit with said person in those focused episodes. And I, I guess, like, uh, this uh, question can be directed uh, towards Jay a little bit. And Jack, if you want to chime in, uh, you can. It, because we uh, had watched anime before that was based on visual novels that had different roots and it seemed as though uh the roots were dependent on the romantic relationships that you've chosen do you i I guess like do you like how how do you feel about this jay do you feel as though that uh this should have just stayed in the visual novel do you feel as though that this was a good exploration or a good reference to that in the anime medium 
do you feel as though like it detracted from the story in terms of the it, 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 with with the time travel mechanics that was in here uh, because it seems like it's just like on a rise that more visual novels um you know where you can have multiple routes like they are doing uh anime adaptations for them oh yes just along the lines of it was barely noticeable to me it was more of when the story of luca or ruka came up because of that d uh, d male storyline or that portion of the build-up is that she or sorry he wants to become a she just because uh, he has feelings for okabe sorry yeah. yeah it's a weird talking about because it's different world lines they do change um gender which is kind of a weird way to take the story and i think that's what jack is leaning into about why it's a weird um visual novel component to the story and i think that's mm -hmm. where it's the strongest um because why at all is that part of the um, main arc of the story because luca's story is just so that uh, he she has the imb 5001 no, 5100 uh, 5100 5, yeah and that's basically it and that essentially that's all that luca contributes to the story is like a love interest possibility that's basically it and other than the alternative episode which i think is called 23 beta is that he doesn't save he leaves uh, Mayori alive and doesn't save Kirisu. Yeah, and that's basically it. So I like the root story that maybe another episode would have been Mayori stayed dead and then he ended up with Kurusuno. <laughs> Man, why can I not say her name? But yeah, so like to say... Well, I was going to say, you should, Jay, you should call her what Okabe calls her, Christina. <laughs> oh, Christina, yeah. <laughs> and she also has, oh yeah, we didn't even talk about like everyone has like a double O code name too which is kind yes. of nerdy as well oh, that was um, fun yeah. <laughs> yeah um but yeah like to say that like the romantic roots is obvious is kind of not apparent but once you know that it was there you kind of see it because of how he connects with each of the romantic interests like and that's why i kind of keyed into like his personality which i kind of thought was like very similar to asperger's and like all the other uh, female interests or love interests kind of have some kind of antisocial disorder because Mo um, Mocha doesn't like to speak. She usually communicates through text messages. So when she shows up with a gun, you're like, whoa. And even like when she's declaring that she needs to kill, she's like kind of whispering it as well. So that kind of translates through her personalities no matter what time or world line she's in so the romantic interest didn't really distract that much okay uh that that, that, that uh i, I j just wanted to get, get an idea on that because like i said like um essentially compounding what i or at least validating what i had said earlier like going in not knowing about the romantic component i didn't think about it in that way I was just a bit curious because, like, no having that history, I guess, like, it's sort of like, I guess, like, uh, adds more another layer to it. It's like, oh, okay, this would have been another route or something along those lines. It was just a uh, very interesting thing seeing how uh, being having it translated from the visual novel to an anime, seeing the things that they were sort of picking and choosing what to uh, bring to the table. 
And so I guess uh, moving forward, what would be what would you guys say is a prominent selling point to watching uh, this series, Steins Gate? That's really tough because I mean I'll get into my closing um, arguments about oh, resurrection rebuilding, but just to say yeah. something that really kept me on board is again like just to praise those last twelve episodes about how brilliant the writing is and the animation isn't really anything to really complain about, but for whatever mm-hmm. reason they overbalance the white exposure in the scenes. So like permanently throughout the show, there's like a border of the screen that you can't really see. So it gives like a very, I guess, Truman-esque kind of vibe. I don't know what that was supposed to be symbolizing. Like this is just one world and it's the alpha world, I guess, essentially. And it's on its stage and like anything can happen in it. And like even when Okabe like sends his first Gmail, the world goes blank white and then he's in Akuhabara and everyone just disappears. Mm-hmm. But a selling point, oh, now I'm digging for something because what would be a great <laughs> selling point? Because it's really hard to sell a time travel story that's just about the mechanics of time travel, but that's what's so great and intriguing about those 12 episodes is that, yes, you're dealing from branch theory, but also a cascading of a butterfly effect where he has to undo every single D-mail that led up to episode three. And that means, or episode 12, and that means that everyone's wish or everyone's wish fulfillment has to be uh, reversed in some kind of way. And if you're sending something to the past to change something, you're doing that for a reason. And that kind of gets glossed over a little bit, but it's really sad. And I think that's kind of the beauty of the story in itself is that, mm-hmm. yes, Okabe is the main character. And yes, once you get access to time travel, you want to change things. But those changes have consequences. And everyone that's got into contact with Okabe to change something in their past kind of has to come to terms with when you change something in the past, you're neglecting the present. And I think that's a selling point is that there's a lesson to be learned in this wacky world of time travel and a guy slowly driving himself into badness to save a girl that we don't really know why he should care about. (laughs) He ends up turning himself into the mad scientist that he pretends to be, right? Um, uh, Jack, what what about you? What what are some uh, prominent selling points uh, to recommend this series to somebody? Well, so the interesting thing that that I would say to start with in terms of a selling point is to keep in mind, you know, I I uh, as I said at the at the start of this, I mean, my weep credentials are are significantly lower. I'm not uh have not swum in the deep end of uh, the anime artistic medium. So I'm coming at this as somebody who's a fan of the show and who is a fan of, of you know, probably only a few anime, uh, maybe just a couple more than the ones that I gave in my top nine. So this is a show that I think you can enjoy, even if you are not incredibly well-versed in the anime world or the, the styles of the medium. I think you can still appreciate it very much. Uh, but, so that sort of is, is the sort of surface level, you know, it's an anime. I don't really watch anime. Why should I give the show a shot? Well, because it's it's something that's a little bit more accessible, I feel like, than, than perhaps some other anime may be. Uh, but I would also say, too, the biggest selling points are if you if you like science, if you like science, if you like time travel, 
those I would say would be the big the biggest things to to point out and to to tell people because I think the characters are well done. I think the characters are well written. I like the progression. Uh, I mean, we can't sing enough praises of the second half of the series too, but um, I think that talking about the characters and their journey is well and good, but I think the science and the time travel uh, make it stand out. And I would say if you dig those types of stories, uh, then you're not going to be disappointed watching it. At least, like, I'm, I'm just ruminating on a little bit, like, what uh, Jay had mentioned earlier in terms of, like, how... Uh, neurotic Okabe becomes in terms of time travel, and it seems like that's a big theme. Is it? Uh, uh, so, so I would sort of pose this question uh, to the two of you: like, is it fair to say that most time travel uh, stories, uh, it, it essentially is, um, or 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 essentially uh, providing evidence like why time time travel should not be a thing. Like if you are given the opportunity to do it, that you shouldn't do it to begin with, because mentioned earlier through the progression of the later 12 episodes, we have Okabe essentially undoing all the changes to the past that he has done prior. And I, I feel as though like, it's sort of like an occurring theme in most time travel uh, stories. I think it's really even heavy, and I don't remember the original author's name, but the person who wrote the book Time, uh, the Time Machine, it was even a big theme in that one. So I guess again, just just to repeat the question, like, do you think it's fair to say that most time travel stories, especially in Steinsgate, is just a uh, uh, sort of like a monkey's paw? Uh, type warning to say that time travel should not be messed with at all we can start with jay oh i'm, I'm sorry not jay uh jack oh man <laughs> <laughs> um you know i'm not really sure i uh i i don't know that the i don't know that the show presents a message like that in an on-the-nose direct in-your-face type of way i think that as the characters are fiddling around with this thing, they discover that they need to take it seriously. But, I mean, ultimately, by the end of the series, their motivation in using time travel is to prevent World War III and to prevent that uh, attempted murderer father of Kurosu from taking his theories to the dadgum Russians. And, and so I think that, you know, by the end of it, it's sort of like, okay, well, we're going to use time travel to avert apocalypse. Uh, and maybe we'll put it away after that. But um, I don't know. I don't know that the show communicates a clear message of, hey, this this is you know this is something that mankind shouldn't help with. I think that it does serve to humble Okabe. I think that Okabe eventually gets to a point where he realizes, man, I am in over my head, and and this is so much bigger and and more difficult than I had ever anticipated with when we were playing around with future gadgets. But I don't know. I, I don't know that it's as clear-cut as, as that. No, that, that's fair. Like you said, like it's sort of like this a fun and wonderful thing, and then by the time you're knee-deep into it, you sort of realize the amount of responsibilities that entail with doing said thing, and so you come out with a more mature lens to it. Okay, I, I can definitely see that. What what about you, Jay? What what are your thoughts? Rick and Morty actually had. <laughs> you need to repeat. Yeah, Rick and Morty actually had. <laughs> Rick and Morty actually had a very poignant episode about time travel last season. It involved snakes. I can't remember the yes! title. Yes. 
but it was essentially the lesson that like you're kind of talking about sam is that time travel is a snake that eats its own tail is that the only way to really oh now i get why it was all centered on snakes that makes more sense i didn't get that at all <laughs> i thought i thought it was just something random wacky that they were doing i'm sorry i'm sorry Jay. i didn't mean to interrupt you no it's problem. that's why i'm here to give you epiphanies moments of insight <laughs> yeah it is a thing of time travel only works when it folds in on in itself because that's why the first episode is brilliant after you watch the rest of the 24 episodes and that's why i would warrant that this is a series that does need a second viewing because uh okay. jack did bring it up multiple times is that there's so many intricate things that is going on in the background or won't mean something for maybe 10 episodes and it very much reminds me of edgar wright's movies of how much is layered in a scene and okay coming back into what is so good about the series is that there's so much layered context that you get when you go through all 24 episodes and then revisit it and nothing's wrong with revisiting a time travel movie because that shows that the movie is enjoyable job yes and it's enjoyable on the first viewing and then maybe even more enjoyable on the second or third viewing and I'm thinking about other time travel shows or properties that does address that consequence of inventing time travel. And it's funny, like, Galaxy Quest is oddly a time travel movie because... Is it? I thought that... Because I, I, I didn't re- remember that time travel was actually involved in that movie. Was it? Yeah, so at the very end of the movie, that all this bad all this bad is happening, like, the the... The ship is being invaded. People have been killed. And um, who's the main dude? Tim Allen. Tim Allen has yeah. to go through this like maze of intricate traps that keep people away from using the uh, emergency button, essentially. And they find out that the emergency button is time travel. So I really enjoy sci-fi stories that do do that. So you can only travel once you get through that maze, 13 seconds in the past. So that's when time travel is contained. Um, if you look more widely with like uh, the Terminator, Back to the Future, Time Cop even. And I think I'm not a, I'm not a Trekkie like you guys, but is it First con? Is it con- First Contact? First Contact. It's First Contact. That's, that's one of them. That's one of them. <laughs> oh, is Save the Whales? Is Save the Whales also? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Travel? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it's always weird when we get into sci-fi and they have these advanced uh, civilizations that just, oh yeah, we just use time travel. But yeah, Steingate just goes back to say, we're going to prevent World War III. We're going to stop Stern from doing these terrible things, from the Russians from doing terrible things. <laughs> and then that's <laughs> it. There's no reason to really use time travel. And I like that upended way of saying like time travel is used to address the problems that time travel causes but once you solve that don't do it anymore no so yeah like like like, uh sort of like that like it's um again you know it doesn't go out to out of its way to uh send message but it is ambivalent uh in that case as jack had mentioned where it's like you know you start dealing with it and then you have to use it to sort of tie up your loose ends and then if you do get a chance to save the world from world war three because the russians that'll be great just don't do it anymore <laughs> so like it, it seems like the uh topics especially like with uh 
like it, it has been very heavy uh recently so like just to lighten things up before we try to wind things down i had asked you guys uh before this like what would be a phrase that you would tell your friends or even our listeners that you are in fact from the future because i feel as though that every time that uh okabe had time leaped had he used his phrase i mean he used a phrase with kurisu but he only used it in certain instances and it seemed to be annoying to me that he had to keep uh telling himself or telling or at least uh recapping everything to his friends and they not believe him so like if they had established a code phrase or a code word i feel as though that would have been so much easier for him in his journey and so i just wanted to see what you uh what what your phrases would be you know something short that way you know uh you can uh let your friends know it's like this is serious i need you to like like listen to me right now you know like that sort of thing so uh jay we can go with you what what would your phrase be uh i would go with banana bread uh it is uh it is a code word used in this video game i really love called spy party and you basically use that code word to basically convey secret messages between operatives who are being targeted by a sniper so um if any of my video game friends know me they know that banana bread has that connotation to it so i wonder like how would you use that it's like it's time to get the banana bread out the oven or would you just (laughs) straight up say banana bread (laughs) that's how it's said you just say (laughs) banana bread uh what what about you jack what's what's a phrase that you would use um okay so i've thought about this a lot yeah um (laughs) and uh (laughs) what i would do is i would again borrow something from star trek the original series essentially there's a code that captain kirk and spock use in one episode uh, to basically communicate the message that, okay, I'm down on the planet and things are fine, or I'm down on the planet and there's an imposter that's trying to get up to the ship and things are not fine. So the way they do it is a sign and a countersign, and they're in the form of chess moves. Oh, so, okay. So the ship on the ship, you call down to the planet, Spock would be like, queen to queen's level three. And the response to that is queen to king's level one. So what I would say is if I come back from the future and I cannot talk about what i saw i would tell my people queen to queen's level three if it's super super important and i have to reveal something i would say queen to queen's level three and queen to king's level one okay so so i I sort of like that it's sort of a uh double um uh, a dual layer type thing where it's like if you only just say half the phrase you'll be like okay i can't talk about this or if you say the full phrase it's like this is something super serious i need you to listen don't ask questions so I, 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 I sort of like that. No, that's 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 really good. And I've also I've also plugged that into conversations with my future or past self. That's how we're gonna respond. <laughs> Queen to Queen's level three, Queen to King's level one. Oh my gosh, what's happened? Right. Oh no, it's the organization. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of funny, like um, and I, I have to say I would have to get my phrase too because this this is more of a reference to Doctor Who. Uh, because it's it's during Capaldi's time. I can't remember who he said it to, if it was to Claire or if it was to Bill, but he basically called uh, uh, humans like a bunch of pudding brains. And like, <laughs> it's like, there's even like a song named Pudding Brains. And the fact that, I think it was Kirisu, 
um, she was getting to Okabe's face because he had take, taken one of her pudding cups and she had called him pudding brain. So um, that is now my time travel phrase is just uh, pudding brains. Um, but yeah, so uh, like I said, we're now like winding things down, uh, sort of uh, wanting to wrap things up. Is there? Do you have any uh, final thoughts that you would like to say uh, about this franchise, uh, Jack, that uh, you didn't get a chance to mention before? Um, I would say basically that you know it was a it was a great show. I'm glad I did the rewatch. Um, there is a film uh, that apparently takes place after the events of, of the flagship series. Mm-hmm. I do not know if there's a film for Steins Gate Zero. Um but uh but yeah there's plenty of different ways to sort of enjoy this. You can watch the show, you can watch the show and the movie, but uh make sure you watch that OVA which which functions as kind of a, a I think a good epilogue yeah. uh for the main series. And it does tie up some loose ends. Uh you you guys had mentioned the OVA previously. The OVA solves the great unknown mystery of who it is that Daru ends up marrying and fathering a child with. And I, I remember seeing it. It was it, it was it was it was very nice. Like how how they were able to wrap it up that way. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, before we go on to Jay, uh, Jack, uh, so, sort of ties into your final thoughts. I uh, forgot to mention this when I had uh, uh, brought you uh, brought the attention to you. But uh, given a choice to resurrect, meaning you would recommend this show to somebody else or rebury it, making sure that nobody in all time would ever be exposed to this again, would you resurrect or rebury this franchise? Absolutely resurrect. Jay, we're on to you. Final thoughts and final verdict on resurrection and rebury. The thing that really vibed most with this series overall in total was a lot of parallels to Mr. Robot. I forgot which. Um, oh, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Uh, but you've you've seen a lot of parallels between this one and uh, the Amazon series. Yes, exactly. Or is, is is it an Amazon series? Uh, it was on. I forgot what channel it was on back in the day. Maybe TBS or maybe Fo- yeah. uh, Fox X uh, FX X. But yeah, it came out. Wow. Oh wow. I hope maybe a decade ago now. But it's like three seasons now, and Remy Malik is the main protagonist of the series mm-hmm. and the reason why he's unreliable oh that might be a spoiler um but it <laughs> is a another tale of this very sophisticated hacker so if you're like more of dara what was his name the guy daru. in the chair daru. daru yeah the hacker not hacker hack what does okabe call hack. hack he calls him the hack yeah, yeah the hack yeah but yeah if you like the guy in the chair kind of storytelling of this series then you're going to like mr robot because it's the same unreliable narrator but also kind of taking down capitalism in its totality in america versus cern (laughs) so it's those kind of parallels so like i recommend uh, that series for the same reasons why i would recommend this series but to say that those first 12 episodes man just there's such a, not failure, but there's such of a, as Jack said, there's so slice of life. Because, like, a couple of those time travel stories we didn't talk about was that, like, Okabe tries to win the lottery, like, which any good time traveler would try to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but it messes up in some kind of fashion. Everyone that's involved in some kind of way tries to use D-mail in some kind of way to undo the past. We didn't talk about, like, the 
the apartment owner, I think his name is Hugo, but he ends up being like oh, the handler of the Mr. Braun. Yeah, Mr. Braun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Braun is like the handler of Mocha and the Rounders or the assassination group for CERN, which they do go into. They really badmouth CERN a lot because <laughs> a lot apparently like CERN in the series figured out time travel, but they started with people versus text messages first. So people get turned into gelatin blobs because of, you know, trying to squeeze people through a black hole, essentially, uh, to actually send people into the past. Versus in the end of the series, there's a time machine, which, man, there's so much we didn't talk about. But the 12 episodes is so good because a girl that they introduce in Twin Pigtails is actually John Teeter. Sorry, now I'm just spoiling everything, but... Well, we're in the spoiler section, Yeah, I know, I'm just, like, going through all the spoilers (laughs) that she's actually John Teeter, who is the daughter of the hacker character, and she's traveled to the past to find out who her father is, because she doesn't know, as well as to prevent World War III, which is where we get the name Steinscape from. That's the world line that where World War III doesn't happen. So, (laughs) I was doing the... Um, DiCaprio point at the screen when it came up. Yes. Like, <laughs> oh, she said it. She said it. <laughs> she said it. And again, wrapping around to the brilliance of the first episode is that um, she wasn't dead, I don't think. I'm forgetting if she was actually dead or was that a different world line, but she set uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. He set up her looking to get stabbed to trick his past self to thinking that she died so he would go to create time travel. So it's weird that the story folds back in its in on itself in the first episode and I very much enjoy that. To say all that, I wouldn't recommend it. It is a it is a twenty four episodes, like it is a series I enjoyed, but again my barometer is always I'm a seasonal anime kind of guy, so I'm watching eight other anime right now. So would I recommend this to someone else that's doing the same? And I can't really because it demands you watch all 24 episodes as well as a rewatch. So I'm firmly in the camp of reburied. Oh, that, 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 that that's hard. What was that? Sam, you know what that means? That means that you have to tie break. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so uh, before I go on to uh, uh, tie breaking, right? I, I do want to say, uh, Jay, I, I think I did find the source of your phrase milk toast. Um, Jack, I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, whenever he yeah. uh, finds a character that's just like flat or uh, bland, he would uh, use the descriptor milk toast. And I think you got it from uh, Okube because I have it right here on episode 10. Timestamp 1943. <laughs> he uses the phrase milk toast. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, like, that was probably like the first time that I was ever exposed to it. And I didn't remember it until you have used it several times on this podcast. So I think that may be the origin. Okay, okay so, okay, <laughs> then that's two things that has seeped into my anime consciousness then. Because the other thing that I do is. And I've never known where that is from. I never know where that's from. And now I know where it's from. 
I feel I feel like I feel like you you have to resurrect it on those bases. The fact that it had seeped into your subconsciousness <laughs> so hard. Well, that that's interesting too because that's another translation issue. Because in in the in the English dub, it's do to do. In the Japanese, it's tuturu. Yeah, that's how you can tell. <laughs> that's lame. <laughs> I would have to. I would have to resurrect it with a caveat in the sense that if you do watch it, maybe watch it a second time. But it's sort of like it's one of those things where I, I think, Jay, we, we might have mentioned it in passing or off a podcast. Steinsgate, it's one of those things where it's good, but it's limited watching, right? It's It's not one of those things where it's good and you can watch it over and over and over again. For me, mainly, I can't wa- uh, watch it repetitively just because of how manic and how intense uh, psychologically uh, Okabe uh, goes, uh, Okabe's path is throughout this entire show. All, all in all, at the end of the ride, it is very well worth it. As Jack had mentioned earlier, you see this character, he is essentially peeled away and brought down and humbled in a very... And, and and he he is now mature, but he is able to come on the other side of it, uh, essentially reclaiming his previous self and now has a more mature outlook on his scientific exploits. And he also has a uh, deeper uh, appreciation for the relationships that he has. And the first half of the show is a bit muddled but it you appreciate it that much more because of the second half of the show and with the way that they uh fabricate the story and they portray it as well in terms of like the different world lines and how everything is a little bit different like when he would shift back uh with some of the emails sometimes Suzaha would be there sometimes she wouldn't be there because of the uh, different uh, machinations of uh, what was uh, going on. And I, I, I just appreciate that well, uh, how, how it was well written in that regard. So I would say I would at least resurrect it in, in the, uh, for those who truly do appreciate time travel stories and uh, very much how Richard had exposed Jack to this in the sense of, Hey, you like time travel? This is how time travel is done properly in the anime medium, right? Uh, aside from something that's super fantastical, like uh, that you would see in Flip the Time Detective or uh, something like that. So that that's why I would uh, sort of uh, resurrect it in that case, it, for it to be a sort of case study on what would time travel done right in anime look like uh in, in that regard so at the end we have a straight up resurrect from our guest jack we have a straight up rebury from jay and i'm sort of on the fence with a resurrect with a caveat on there so <laughs> i broke the tie <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh uh very fairly meekly and um Again, uh, so so those are our thoughts on Steins Gate, and we can go around uh, giving some uh, final thoughts before we close, and we can start out with Jack. So, uh, so uh, final thoughts. Like I, I do generally love the the series. I enjoyed my rewatch. 
I will I will offer one thing. I, I, I haven't been very critical of this series, but there is one thing that, that it kind of just occurred to me when we were talking yeah. um, a little bit about it uh, just now that I, I haven't brought up yet. And I will say, if I have one little stickler of criticism, I feel like it was a very much a, a, a sorely missed opportunity uh, to really show what Okabe, Daru, and some of the other characters look like in 2036, and what they look like in the future. I know that uh, it's revealed that Okabe died in the future, but I, I really wish that they had they, there had been some sort of a moment, uh, maybe included in a flashback from Suzuha, where we actually got to really see what these characters look like in the future. I think that would have been so interesting. And uh, for some reason, I, I can't, you know, there are probably several, probably some good ones, but we're not really treated to that. And the closest we get is a conversation that uh, Okabe has with his future self. It's not so much a conversation as it is a recorded message. And even in the recorded message, you don't really see future Okabe very clearly enough to see what he, uh, to see if he looks significantly different or not. But I just thought, you know, that's one thing I really wish the show had kind of <laughs> done just a little bit. But other than that, um, no, I have a generally positive impression of this show. I mean, it's number three. It is right behind. Attack on Titan and One Piece for me. So, um, so yeah, I'm very, very happy to have watched it, happy to have rewatched it. I want to check out the film. I'm a little hesitant on Science Gate Zero, but I'll probably take a dive into that at some point. Um, uh, but just to, to say that and to say again, thank you guys so much uh, for having me on to talk about the show. I really appreciate it. Awesome. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you for joining us. You really did add a good aspect to the conversation that we've had here today. Uh, Jay, any uh, final uh, thoughts and comments for us? Oh, yeah. I would like to close with a joke. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're already laughing because it's maybe a terrible joke, but I heard a really good time travel joke tomorrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a great one-liner. Oh, <laughs> 